All right, people, we back. Victory and Vice's podcast. Me, Rory Spooner, Reese Henley, no James Vec. He will be back soon, though. He's got scheduling conflicts, but you got us and we got all the news and views. So, again, big shout out to everybody who subscribed to us over the past few days. We've had a flood of new subscribers and um, the views, they keep on coming in as well. So, big shout out to everybody that's, uh, that's supporting the channel. Um, me and Reese got you tonight, though, and we're going to go over the latest news. Um, some big news that came out this afternoon, which we'll go over in a minute with Paul Bogba. Um, but we're going to start with the, uh, the big game of the weekend, which was the North London derby. Now, as I was explaining to Reese before we came on, I am very much an AFTV fan. Troops give us a shout out before in the comments, so shout out to him. And uh, AFTV is, um, they're starting to lean towards a, a, an Arteta out type of vibe almost. Um, depending on what happens next, maybe with the, uh, the Burnley game. Um, but just going off, obviously, what you've seen, Reese. how would you sum up Arteta's uh, sort of tenure at Arsenal thus far? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a simple way of looking at it, and that's a, from a statistical standpoint. I mean, sometimes in football, the bottom line is, you know, where are you in the table, how many goals you're scoring, and things like that. Um, because, and, and that generally applies to teams that win the league or teams that end up in the relegation zone. Um, I don't think that necessarily applies to Arsenal. Um, I think it is possible to make a mistake um, when, when looking at it from a statistical standpoint. Because um, with, with Arteta, I, I think he is a decent manager. Uh, I, I, that, my, my mindset on him hasn't changed. I think he did inherit an incredibly poor squad. Um, I think the situation with Ozil, um, I mean, if I'm being critical, I would say maybe he could have uh, dealt with that a little better. I mean, we don't exactly know exactly what's going on there, but I mean, to have your top earner sitting, not even on the bench, uh, ineligible to play. Um, I think from a club point of view, from a manager point of view, it doesn't matter which way you look at it, it's a shambles. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, he, he, like I mentioned, he, he, does, he did inherit a poor squad and, and, and Arsenal aren't in the business of throwing money around. I think the only real player that Arteta has actually had the chance to to sign, to the best of my knowledge, is Thomas Partey, who um, has been injured up until the North London derby. And if we take the North London derby as an isolated game, I think Tottenham, they did a bit of a job on Arsenal. Um, I think they had one or two real chances and, and punished Arsenal. But really, Arsenal, you know, they didn't get battered. Um, so I don't know if you can necessarily say that's a sackable offence. Um, so with Arteta, for me, I, I wouldn't get rid of him. I think the, 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 main, the main concern I would have if I was talking, if I had a friend who was an Arsenal fan, I don't, I don't associate with them. Um, <laughs> if I had a friend who was an Arsenal fan um, and they were saying to me they want Mikel Arteta out, I'd say, look, let's get a Liverpool fan in the room. And I'd turn to them and I'd ask them, look, there was a time where Rafa Benitez won your Champions Leagues and he, you know, he got you close, you know, top four, top three, probably never got that title run. Um, but in the end, you wanted him out. And all, lots of Liverpool fans wanted him out. Despite loving him, they said, look, it's time for change. And he left. And they went through a phase where I think they had Kenny Dalglish, Roy Hodgson, some other managers. Um, it didn't work for a long time. Um, perhaps that's what's happening after Wenger left. But when Arteta has been brought in, he's been brought in to build, he's been brought in to say, look, this is not a one-year project. I'm not going to get you top four. Forget about it. You know, we're not good enough as a team. I think we, he's brought in William and Partey, and, and, and one of those is a free transfer. 
this is a three, four year project. If Arsenal can get and should get, let's be honest, top seven this year, mm. probably a good end result. Because whilst Arsenal fans will hate to hear it, clubs like Leicester, they're they're above them on merit. They're above them as a starting point. Um, they're not going to be better than Leicester out of the, out of the block sort of thing. You know, they they need to build before they can get up to the level that clubs like Leicester or Tottenham are at. And that is, that's a harsh reality for, for Arsenal fans. And I could understand where they would want to shield themselves from it. But sometimes you've got to face the music. They're not as good as those teams. They have a fragile defence. Um, they don't necessarily have a solid core. And when Aubameyang hasn't been firing, which he hasn't, they really don't have a lot of top. So um, it's tough. I wouldn't get rid of Arteta, though. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, interesting, right? Let's if we break it down into segments. You have point A, which is the back end of last season, and they won the FA Cup. They look superb, passing, you know, terrific out of the back. David Luiz looked, you know, revitalised. Aubameyang couldn't stop scoring, and then we got point B, which is now where they're sort of getting their asses handed to them. They look blunt. They look disinterested. So what we've got to establish is this area here, where what has happened because. It's the same squad with a couple of improvements because part A is an improvement on what was there. Gabriel is an improvement on what was there. And William, whilst you know, he is debatable, he adds another body there. So they have a better squad this season than they did last season. So why all of a sudden has there been such a downturn in form? The one thing that has happened, and you alluded to it just now, Reese, that Arteta has handled... Maybe I don't want to say badly because I don't know the ins and outs of it. Is the Mesut Ozil situation now? Mesut Ozil is not in any Arsenal playing squads. He, I think his contract's out in six months, so he'll probably be gone. Um, but what Arteta did was play with fire because Mesut Ozil, okay, you don't want him in your playing squad, fair enough. You then have to sell him, you can't keep him lingering around because Mesut Ozil is very good friends with the large majority of that Arsenal squad. And I think that Arsenal squad, we've, you know, before Reese on this podcast, we talked about Obama Yang and we said, oh, he's a good egg and, and you know, he's, he's really leading from the front. And at the end of last season, he was. All these Arsenal players have sided with Mesut Ozil and they've down tools. I'm convinced of it because it's the same squad as last year. And watching them play, they've got no chemistry. They look disinterested. They're not running the extra yard. They're not making the extra tackle. And I got to question some of those guys' professionalism because they've sided with their friend instead of their manager. And to me, it looks like they've down tools. I disagree. Um, I mean, it's one possible explanation. I, I don't buy um, the fact that one of the best goal scorers in Europe, in a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, has almost intentionally not scored for 10 games um, because he can't play Fortnite with you know, his friend, you know what I mean? Um, I, I don't buy it. Um, I think if we draw a parallel between Manchester United and Arsenal, just for a second, just because you support Manchester United, so I'll try to illustrate a point. Yeah. Um, Mason Greenwood, okay, he was doing the business last season and he hasn't this season. Um, where, to, to the point where you were saying that he was a generational talent, you know, mm -hmm. he was that good. He was... He was scoring that many goals. Um, what would you do right now if no, if the same players were misfiring, but this this time around Mason Greenwood isn't firing? 
your team's your team's going to suffer, hmm. and Arsenal are suffering the same problem with Bukayo Saka. Um, I think a large amount of their hopes were pinned on that you know young man, and he's not doing it. He's he's not been the player that perhaps they thought he would step up to be, hmm. and you could possibly um, you know ask the question: Did they think that were they that confident he would be that player that? They put all egg, all their eggs in that basket and sort of have made a mistake. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of players who just haven't been able to hit those heights of, of when they went on that FA Cup run last season. And I don't buy that it's the fact that, um, you know, Meza Ozil is not in the squads. I think, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be great if, you know, your, your, one of your favourite teammates isn't able to play you know that's that's not nice you, you'd miss them on a personal level you'd miss them on a professional level um but they are basically a full season possibly two full seasons without having him as a proper member of that you know first 11 and there will be other players in that team that you will want to work hard for you know if i'm playing as a center forward for arsenal and one of my teammates is you know grafting their ass off in midfield then i would want to graft my ass off up front and I don't believe as a professional that sort of thing would come into it when you cross the line onto a football pitch, especially against a team that wants to hurt you, wants to kick you. I'm not buying it. Interesting you say that because I would beg to differ, see. I fully understand the fragility of the male eagle and not just the male eagle, the male football eagle. There's a lot of princesses in that Arsenal squad. They... I, 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 the only difference between last season, tactically, nothing's really changed. You know, admittedly, obviously, they've gone four at the back instead of five at the back. But there's no difference. There's something not right with that Arsenal side. There is something lacking in terms of the chemistry. I don't well, see them going to war for their, their manager. Ozil shaped hole in that team. Let's, let's be honest. There is. It's a mistake. But, but for whatever reason, they can't put him in, right? So let's stop talking about Mesut Ozil. He's out of the equation. For whatever reason, they can't make that work. It's now on Arteta to make this work. Mm. Make that system work. Plug that gap. Um, he can't do it. He's, he's, he's struggling. I think, like I said, Bakayo Saka hasn't been the player he wants him to be. I think there's a lot of youngsters. You look at Reese Nelson, Joe Willock. A lot of players there that they've put a lot of trust in. And just, they're just probably not going to be good enough. Mm. So they've signed party. He's been out. They've been unfortunate. They have had a soft centre. They've been punished. Um, Xhaka's positioning in certain games. I mean, I look at the Wolves game, I think. Try him, him trying to defend against Adama Traore. Awful. But to, to try and blame it all on uh, Arteta or to blame it all on, on the falling out with Ozil, I think it's a bit reductionist. I don't know. I think that you're right in saying there's a definite lack of quality. And Arsenal's one of Arsenal's main problems is they can't adjust that squad in one transfer window. If you could adjust it in one transfer window and make five, six, seven sign-ins, you could then go, okay, we've got a starting point. But Arteta, I mean, will he see the summer, will he see the January transfer window? I don't know. Will he see the summer one? I don't know. But I definitely think certain players in that squad, they feel like Mesut Ozil has been mistreated and they've probably lost a little bit of faith in their manager. Um, as for the lack of quality, you're right, yeah. There's players there that should probably are good players. You know, they're solid Premier League players, but they're not going to take Arsenal to where they need to go. So what happens next is anyone's guess, I guess. 
they've got the makings of a good team, though. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that they are a lost cause and that they're going backwards and and try and um, you know t- give Roy Keane you know uh, vindication and, and say that you know they could go down and of course they couldn't. Um, you know they they've got Kieran Trippier, uh, not Kieran Trippier, sorry, Kieran Tierney, who has been brilliant for them. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bernd Leno, who is in an excellent run of form. Um, they've got Gabriel, who's a decent start to the season. But I like Gabriel too, by the way. Good player. There are players. You know, they've got Thomas Partey. You know, they, they've got uh, Willian, who's been a solid Premier League player for a long time. Lacazette and Aubameyang are both competent forwards, um, if not world-class. So there's a spine of a good team there. You know, If they were to sign seven or eight players, we could sit here and have the same chat about a team that clearly hasn't gelled. The thing we would say about Arteta is, yes, they could get rid of him. Um, they could dispense with him and they could bring in you know, a manager from Europe, uh, just just to pluck a random uh, name out of the sky, they could bring in Luis Enrique. Um, and, and, you know, things could go well, they could not go well. But Arteta's trying to build something. He's got a project there. He has a tangible style of football that he wants to implement in the team and he knows it's going to take time. He has the luxury of Arsenal not being a club that are used to top four finishes anymore. You know, he doesn't necessarily have to hit that height. He hasn't been afforded the money to demand it. And so Arsenal fans just need to get off his back, let him get his squad together, and just let the team gel, let the team do their thing. And I'm sure that that style of football will pay dividends in the end. I mean, we talked, you know, two or three games into the season about, you know, the, the, way, that the, the way the football was going. And that it's anyone's year, given the fact that it's covid We've talked about, uh, you know, different clubs like Everton or Brighton having a great start. They've fallen away. Things level themselves out. Over 38 games, they level themselves out. And where Arsenal are 15th, 16th in the league now, what, five points ahead of the drop? In 30 games' time, where it all plays out, they'll be 6th, 7th, 5th, around that, around that region. Um, and if they aren't, then yes, it might be worth a conversation. Look, is this working? Arsenal finished at 11th, 12th, then yeah, you could go, okay, well, that's just not acceptable. That's, you know, you've grossly underperformed and you can go. But at this point, you know, too many extenuating circumstances. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the Arsenal fans react. I think expectations were probably quite high given how they ended the season, you know, the FA Cup win and, you know, they were playing such great football and Aubameyang couldn't stop scoring. So I guess time will reveal all and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it pans out. It will, but, uh, it will. And, uh, but, but the only, the only drawback from what I'm saying there is that I am being generous. I mean, there's, there's a lot of managers out there who I wouldn't say this about. You know, but I, I personally have a gut feeling that Arteta is the real deal. But he really hasn't done anything in management. He has not done anywhere near enough to be afforded the luxury of performing so poorly result-wise for a sustained period of time. So whether, yeah. the, board, whether the board agree is another thing altogether. Yeah, Arsenal fans obviously get in the comments below. Let us know what you think about it as well. But uh, something we'll keep an eye on over the next sort of couple of weeks and, and months as it develops. Um, all right, the other big news tonight. Oh, man. Oh, I was heated when I saw this. Oh, I was heated. Paul Pogba. Now, I think me and Vecchi discussed it on a previous podcast. You might have been there. It is possible. I'd say it's very possible. It's more, yeah. than, it's more than possible. It's definitely happened. 
So Paul Pogba's agent, Mino Raiola, shameless plug, we did a terrific uh, video about Mino Raiola, which is on our YouTube channel, so go and watch it. Um, Mino Raiola's come out um, on the eve of Manchester United's biggest game this season against Leipzig, a, a game which is potentially going to define their season already um, in December. And Mino Raiola's come out and said, Paul Pogba is finished with Manchester United. He's done. Uh, Paul Pogba has done absolutely nothing to stop his agent come out and speak about it. He's done nothing after the comments were made to reassure Manchester United fans that his head and his mindset is 100% at Manchester United. Raiola has come and has just dropped a grenade in the middle of the football pitch. Um, I, I Look, I can't begin to describe to you how infuriating as a Manchester United fan those comments are. We all know Pogba is going in the summer, potentially even January now. We knew this was going to happen anyway. Pogba hasn't justified a renewal. Manchester United aren't going to give him the money he wants. He clearly wants a new challenge somewhere else, which is perfectly okay. That's fine. But there's a ways and means of, going, of doing things. You, know, you can do things with a bit of class and a bit of respect. If they had come out and said this in the January window or at the start of the January window, I'd be like, it's not ideal, but fair enough, it is a transfer window. I cannot grasp why Mino Raiola has, has done what he's done. I can't. And I firmly understand now why Pep Guardiola will not sign a Mino Raiola player because the baggage that comes with it is completely unnecessary. There's no need for this to have happened. I just wanted your take on it recent, obviously Pogba's future and the Raiola comments. What did you think of them upon hearing them? Do you think that would happen to a player managed by Alex Ferguson? Well, Raiola tried it with Ferguson, and Ferguson said, nope, Pogba's done, he's gone. So it wouldn't happen, no. But Raiola's done it across different clubs. He's tried it with Guardiola, he's tried it with Ferguson. The point, just... the point I'm trying to make um, is sometimes you can look at an agent, you can look at a player, and one thing we have to separate is the, the agent and the player. They are separate people. They're obviously representing the same thing, but they are separate they're separate people and Pogba's performances in Manchester United should because it is easy to pair the two um, Paul Pogba uh, has employed Minoriola Viola to maximise his income you know he, the guy got him a move to Juventus where he thrived got into the France side and became a World Cup winner okay um, and obviously got him the big move back to United which is where he wanted to go um, under a world-class manager, Jose Mourinho, okay? Um, and things have happened since then that I just, as an outside looking in, a United fan uh, would disagree with what I, what I would, my, my opinion on Paul Pogba. Uh, I still regard him as one of the best midfielders in the world. Um, I think you see that on just, just this weekend where he scored a 30-yard thunderbolt. Um, but the way he did it, the way he caresses the ball, effortless, effortless. And I think that it, that, and that's been a problem with him, is that a lot of the things he's been doing is without effort. But my United fans really need to understand the player that they signed back in, I think, 2016, 20, 2017. Yeah. Um, they need to understand that the player that they, they signed then is not the type of player that they've been using. They line up essentially in a, in a four-two-three-one, okay, 
Um, maybe Pogba is not your out and out defensive midfielder. Perhaps he's been asked to be more of a deep line playmaker. But he's a luxury player. And you're a side that needs to graft out wins. You need, you can only afford one, two players in a side uh, as luxury players. And Pogba is, is, is only a five or six out of 10 effort every game. However, he is that player that's going to get you results. And despite the fact that he only puts five or six effort in, he is able to pop up in the right areas. And my I did sign Bruno Fernandes. Uh, I think when when he was under Jose Mourinho, he he th- you know he was he was better with with Romelu Lukaku as well when they when they first went there. But I think when Mourinho left and then and then he was asked to play in the defensive midfield role, he's uncomfortable. He's asking he's been asked to do too much. You know I see him so many times this season pick up the ball on the edge of his own box and instinctively he wants to do a step over or he wants to do a turn. And he loses the ball. And then the ball gets, you know, passed around and it ends up with a chance for the the opposition team. You have a Ferrari and you are driving it like a Fiat. And then my United fans are surprised when the guy's agent comes out and says the guy doesn't want to be there, which he has done over and over for the last two years. It is not about money. He wants to leave. And for for whatever reason, he hasn't left. But this is what Mina Riola does. You know what you're doing when you get into bed with Mina Rayola. He is a part of that player. You know what you're doing. And let's be honest, he wouldn't be doing that if he was happy. And that happiness comes from being played in where you want to be played for a team that's doing the right things in an attacking sense. You know, this guy has never been in a team that hasn't dominated games. He's being asked to do a lot more defending than he can do, and he's looking bad as a result. United fans never really warmed to him, and a lot hate him now. And I know that if they saw him in and around Manchester, they wouldn't show him much love. So why, why, why would he hold any affection at all to the club? He's had about four different managers since he signed, and I think two, two different managers since he signed, one of which is clueless. He's didn't done nothing in the game that Pogba needs to respect. And back to my question about Alex Ferguson, if he was in charge... Do you think that he would be man-managed in a way like this? He would have been able to hold my to ransom like this? Of course not. It's bad management by Ole. It's bad tactics. And it's all resulted in Paul Pogba being alienated. Um, and I'm not surprised. I don't buy the whole tactic thing. Paul Pogba for France won the World Cup playing in a midfield two. The exact same role Manchester United are asking him to play now. Yeah, they, they won the World Cup playing in a midfield two or three with Pogba being the more advanced playmaker in that team. More than that, they were able to dominate games through their use of attacking full-backs and world-class defenders. They didn't need their midfielders to be quite so deep defending a backline that was poor. And so because France were dominating games, Pogba would be able to float in the hole, which means the defenders are more occupied by the front three or four of, of France marking them so tightly that he can float into areas without the ball, ping long passes, ping you know, reverse passes, delicate little chips over the back line, or just a long shot. And he's able to do that. That's don't his game. Don't buy it. Don't buy it at all. Paul Pogba is... That's what you're bought. And that's the, that's the problem as a United fan. The arrogance to think that I come to Manchester United and he, he needs to be world-class and it doesn't matter because we're Manchester United. You're Manchester United. You're a big club. But the team is terrible. 
the team, the back line is bad, right? The back line is bad and means that you have to play a counter-attacking style of play to counteract that. Pogba's not a counter-attacking player, so what do you want from him? Uh, what I'd want off any world-class player is adaptability. It might not be going your way and you may need to tactically adjust your game, but okay. I fully expect that's you to do enough. that. That's fair enough. Maybe you want a player who is a bit of an all-rounder. That's not Pogba. No, no, it's clearly not. No, I, I, I think, you know, I, with that being said, if you can't tactically adapt, how could you ever be world-class? That's what I would say. I mean, I mean, that's true, but I mean, you could apply that logic to pretty much any player on the pitch. I mean, a goalkeeper's not going to be world-class at centre-forward. A centre-half isn't going to be world-class necessarily at centre-defensive midfield. Oh, no, but I'm on about a midfield player now. Can you play in a midfield two? Can you play in a three? Can you hold your shape? Okay. Jamie Carragher made an interesting point when he talked about Pogba, and he said there was one game... Paul Pogba, it might have been a game against Man City, where Pogba just he emptied the midfield. He was on the left touchline. Where's your discipline? What tactics are you following there? Because realistically, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't buy this whole thing that Paul Pogba is this world-class player that you know could, could get in any side. The issue he has now, Reese, is if he goes to Madrid, he's the first part of a rebuild. Bear in mind, that Madrid side are in transition. He can go there, who is he going to pass the ball to? Hazard on the bench? Rodrigo? Asensio? He's going to have big problems on his hands because he's not walking into a Madrid side that's got Di Maria and a prime Benzema and Bale and Ronaldo. They're going to lump all the pressure on him. Can he handle it? He would be walking into a Real Madrid side with a really strong core of defensive players. A side that he wouldn't need to defend. Have you seen Madrid defensively lately? I mean, yeah. I don't, I, out of form, but they've still got a world-class goalkeeper. They've got an experienced right back in Carvajal. They've got Varane uh, at centre half with Ramos, like, uh, arguably the best centre half partnership in the world, and uh, a, a good choice of left back between Florimendi and Marcelo. Um, that coupled with the fact that they've got Casemiro, who is arguably one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. Pogba's not going to be asked to be the main, or you know, protecting the back four. It's not going to happen. And whether he, you know, whether he has to be the steep line playmaker, or whether he can play as a ten, or just have a free role in midfield, I'm not sure. I don't know how he would be used. Um, but believe me, he likes to play in one half, uh, and that half is not the half where your goalkeeper plays. And because Manchester United spend a lot of their time in that half, he doesn't thrive. And Yes, yeah. that's his fault. That's not his game. Yes, he could put more effort in. But ultimately, it's, you've signed a certain type of player and you don't play in the type of way in which he can be effective. And it is almost, it is almost ridiculous saying that he's lost his talent. Um, or, you know, he's never going to be good again. The guy is world-class. The guy went from Manchester United duty, where he'd been terrible, admittedly, to World Cup duty for France, where he was instrumental in winning the World Cup, the greatest achievement in football, to going back to Manchester United and putting in the same performances. And I don't believe that is a coincidence. I wouldn't say he was instrumental. Um, I'd say he played well. I'd say, bear in mind, like you said, that's a very strong French side. Like, you know, there's a lot of moving parts in there. He did his bit. But, I mean, if you're talking instrumental, and Mbappe was instrumental, change into a to a number nine and having Giroud so they strike the other players have got someone to play off. That was instrumental. I don't think Pogba was that instrumental. He pulled a few strings. He did well, but I beg to differ on that one. But I mean, look, Pogba, look, he'll get what he wants now. He'll get his move to Madrid or he might go back to Juventus. It's hard to say. Um, but even if he goes back to Juventus, who are you going to pass the ball to? Ronaldo? He's 35. 
He can't go on forever. He's going to be part of a rebuild and he's going to struggle. It's a complete hypothetical here, right? Because he could leave. You know, and by what Mina Raiola is saying today, look, we know he's full of hot air. We know this could be all part of a ploy to get a, a, a wage rise or a gold bonus or something like this. Um, or it could just be complete bullshit. You know, we can't know for sure until news comes out that Pogba has left United or he's signed a new contract, wherever that's happened, okay? Mm. But let me make a bold prediction. Is that, let's say that Oli loses tomorrow, loses the Man City derby. It is not implausible that he would be sacked. Um, mm. I don't think it would happen that quickly, but it's not implausible, what I'm saying. Yeah. If he was to get sacked in the next month or two and they were to bring in a manager such as Luis Enrique, uh, someone who can bring an attacking brand of football. Someone who can get that team and just go, I need you 15, 20 yards further up the pitch. And I need you to be able to you know, do, create more chances, move the ball quicker. And if they were able to do that, manipulate the ball and, and play their game in the correct half, then I think you would see Pogba play more games. And I think you would actually start to see him thrive. I think, I think you'd start to see him in the type of form that Kevin De Bruyne has been in. Uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, it's a bold prediction, but I think as long as Man United were playing the right type of football, or the team that he was to sign for were playing the right type of football, I think he would thrive. We'll soon find out when he gets his passport ready and goes to Madrid, because he ain't doing it in Manchester oh, United. Look, he, he, um, is he a good player? Yes. World class? I'm going to say no, because I've seen players like Xavi and Iniesta who are real world class players, and they, they would have a field day with Paul Pogba. They, they, he doesn't get close to them in that bracket. I don't even think he's as good as Kevin De Bruyne, if I'm totally honest with you. I'm not saying that he is, and he isn't. And that largely is a conversation about what justifies world-class consistency or how good a player can be on their day. I think it's probably a combination of the two. Yeah, it is. Um, he's not been nowhere near consistent enough to be considered a, you know, in the world's elite. But we all know, if you build a team on paper... In reality, and it has Paul Pogba in it, he would be one of the first names you pick in world football. And that's uh, a fact. We'll soon find out. This Madrid move, I'll be watching La Liga very, very closely because, look, let me tell you, a lot of fans have dissed Paul Pogba, maybe rightly or wrongly. But yeah, what right. Paul, yeah, well, what Paul Pogba's going to find is if you think it's bad in Manchester, Boy, Madrid ain't the place for you because if he puts in some of those performances that he's put in a Manchester United shirt, and all of a sudden the Pogba fanboys go, Oh, well, you know, he's not being played as a 10 and he's being asked to put a tackle in. Oh, no, he can't, he can't possibly do that. They are going to eat him alive. I seen the Nicholas and Elka documentary. They were in his bathroom watching him shower. They don't give a fuck. The Spanish press will eat you alive. He better be prepared. I'm telling you, because that's not an easy move. And I'll leave it at that. So, yeah, Pogba, that's it. We rounded off there. Obviously, United fans, get in the comments and let us know. I am very interested to know your opinions on it. Going off Twitter, I probably know a lot of them anyway. But, yeah, uh, smash the like button and let us know. Okay, cool. So, uh, one thing we didn't touch upon, actually, when we spoke about Arsenal was the North London derby. And we asked me a question earlier on that was, uh, that was quite interesting. Um, and that was regarding uh, Sonny. So, Sun Hyung Min, is he now in the world class bracket? Are we considering him world class? So, Reese, your I take. Think, I think the, the, the real question, I think he's in world class form, we know that. But the real question is where does he rank amongst the elite players in the world? Um, 
I would say probably he's, well, who are we defining as elite right now? Well, I mean, obviously there's a list, isn't there? I mean, Messi is elite. Um, he is elite, right? He's the best. Uh, no, you're talking about his prior achievements are elite, but Barcelona right now are like 13th in the table. So. It's irrelevant. I mean, Messi's the best player in, in the world, arguably. There's two, isn't there? Um, but let's be honest, in that elite level of people who are in that position, um, you'd put sort of Mo Salah, you'd have Sadio Mane. Um, you know, we had the same conversation about Canabri. Um, He's probably up there. earlier on this year. Um, there is a small group of players that Son, prior to this year, maybe prior, you know, probably prior to the season, was not in. He was not in that bracket. You know, um, I personally wouldn't have put Sterling in there, but a lot of people would have. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where, where, at what point you can start to say Son is as good as Mane, because. That is the yardstick for Son. He plays in the same position. He has exactly the same play style. At what point can you say he's as explosive, he's as clinical, he's as lethal, he's as dangerous? I don't know. I'm running out of excuses to, to not put him in that bracket. I would put him in that bracket. I think he's firmly in there. I think if you're going to look at um, who you would take as sort of uh, an attacking player in the final third, he's a head and shoulders above pretty much everybody almost. As you say, you could maybe discount Mane or Salah. But, I mean, if we're, for example, making a comparison, and I say to you, Reese, do you want Anthony Martial or do you want Son? <laughs> like, it ain't, it ain't even a hard debate. It's easy, of course it is. But then, then someone asks you the question, Reese, do you want Neymar or Son? And you start to think, well, actually, Neymar is unbelievable. But Son is, is, in, is in this form. and He's done this over the last year so. Where are we ranking them? I, I don't know. Because up until this point, if you asked me best left winger in the world, I'd have probably said Neymar. Um, and then I would have said probably Mane after that. But mm. then Son is blowing them both at the water at the moment. I suppose it depends how you want to build a team tactically. Because with Son, what you also get is somebody that tracks back and works for the team. He's like a typical... He is the winger Mourinho would have loved to have had at Manchester United. Because... Right now, they cannot get a tune out of Anthony Martial, and Son is consistent. He sure. When I talk about world-class players, Reece, what world-class players do, every single game, they will give you a 7 out of 10 performance. Jose Mourinho put out an interview a while back where he talked about um, the struggles of getting the best out of players, and he said, what you'll find is players will motivate themselves for the bigger games, but then sometimes in the smaller games, it's harder to get them motivated. World-class players will give you the same performance whether they're playing the team that's in first or the team that's in 20th. That's what they do. They show up every week. And right now, he's showing up every week. We can't knock that. I mean, his goal against Arsenal was just ridiculous. It was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, people like Jimmy Vardy. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily put him in the world-class bracket myself. Uh, there might be those that disagree with me. Uh, and Son turns up every week. And there will be those that don't put him in that bracket. Mm. Um, but... I just I look at him and I just think he carries the team. You know, you can look at Harry Kane uh, and you can call Harry Kane whatever you want. Um, but I don't believe without Son that team performs. I don't believe we've got that kind of ability to stretch teams. Harry Kane has dropped to a 10 this season and I've been incredibly impressed with him. Um, but Son is the main man in that, in that Spurs side. And if he fires them to, I won't say a title win because... It's quite a stretch for a team that's not really troubled the top two at all, ever. 
um, to just go and win a title just like that. Mm. If they can go and challenge top two um, and possibly even win a title, yeah, maybe win the, win the Europa League. At what point are you saying, well, son, you know, you could be in the in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or? He's been that good. Yeah, that that is the yardstick now for him is trophies. Once you start adding trophies to your resume, nobody can dispute you. They can always turn around and beat you with that stick and go, ah, yeah, but, you know, in that final, he never really showed up. Or, you know, that semi-final, they didn't really get going and they didn't do nothing. If he wins a major trophy, all of a sudden people go, okay, right, he has to be in that bracket. So, again, I'm interested to get people's opinions on it because, as you say, Reese, it will rightly or wrongly split a lot of opinion. Um, players like Vardy and Son, what, what do you think of it? And let's be honest as well. The goal he scored in the weekend... That's not the type of goal that you score if, A, you're not confident, uh, and B, that's not the type of goal you, you, you score if you don't have the ability. You know, oh, yeah. The goal you score a bend, it and whip, their power. It was past the goalkeeper before, before the defenders could even turn around. Mm. Um, the guy is lethal. You know, he, he, is, he, he is one to watch this season. I, I know we all know how good Son is. But I don't think we actually understand or appreciate just how much that guy has come into his own now. Mm. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Fully agree. And like I said, it's not just, um, you know, something that he does in the final third. He's not a luxury player that, you know, shows up in the final third and does nothing else. He really works for the team. So, yeah, Spurs fans and, and you know, football fans in general, get in the comments below, let us know. Uh, your opinion on him and uh, players that are like him as well. You know, if you get any comparisons you want to throw in there, do let us know. Um, but yeah, going back to uh, you know uh, football in general, we'll, we'll touch upon FPL very quickly as well as we're on the Premier League because we've got um, some sort of international stuff to cover and some other sort of Champions League stuff. Uh, FPL now, what's happening with you, Leverage? Talk to me. Why are you sliding down the league then, son? What's going on? We're squatting transition at the moment. Um, I have had incredible bad luck with coronavirus and yeah. injuries and things like that so um but the bleeding is stopping i was able to maybe make a double swap last week and um we were going to start climbing again and we know that um yeah. the boys have really rallied around and uh you know we're, we're digging deep so um this weekend it's any, it's anyone's guess really. i mean there's a lot to go I mean, we're filming this on Monday. There's a lot to there's there's a lot to, to be said about waiting to see what happens in the Champions League and Europa League before making changes. Um, one thing that if you didn't do it last week, then you really need to have a think about doing it. Newcastle are in the, the process of an outbreak of coronavirus, and I say yeah, that of it because they had an outbreak last week, and for whatever reason, it's spread further now, and they have even more players catching it and staff catching it, and so their game is almost certainly going to be called off again. So if any, if you've got any Newcastle players in your team, God forbid you've got three, um, <laughs> then you need to start thinking about taking them out, playing a free hit, what, you know, whatever you need to do. Yeah, because um, I don't think it's going to be just this weekend that's called off. Um, Later down the line, perhaps it's worth putting St. Maximum in if they're playing well when they have a double game week, which they probably will do um, mm. because of these you know, games that have been postponed. Um, but that is one thing for the weekend to look out for. You need to see what's happening in the Champions League. Liverpool will be having the luxury of being able to rest some players as were Man City. Um, I think Chelsea may rest a few, but Man United won't be able to do that. So don't expect Rashford to be firing on, cil on all cylinders. I think you can probably rely on Bruno Fernandes. Mm -hmm. He's fairly consistent. 
Um, but even he, you know, Ole might choose to, to rest him for the first half, you know, until they're losing and then they, they bring him on and they, they'll win. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Just think, think about the Champions League this week. It's a crucial, crucial game week for, for a lot of clubs. Yeah, it is. Obviously, it's a double week coming up as well. So there's fixtures on Saturday, but then there are Premier League uh, Premier League fixtures uh, midweek next week as well. So if you are looking to maybe use uh, the triple captain, is it it's triple not captain? a it's not a double game week from the fantasy football perspective, though I believe. Is it uh, not? No, it's a, they'll have a separate game week, um, you know, for for the next week. And like I said, I think it's unlikely Newcastle's games will be on by by then so they're, they're likely to miss two or three games so mm. it's one single game a week this week I've started to look at Southampton players now as a as yes. a possible avenue they look consistent I like their style of play under 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 Hasenhutl and they're, and they're relatively cheap um, I think we need to be thinking as far as fantasy football managers we need to be thinking um, Liverpool this weekend against Fulham um, they look good for a captaincy uh, mm. Southampton against Sheffield United at home they look good uh, yeah. Maya did turn up against Man City over the last two or three games may not be the best candidate because of the Champions League but I think they'll turn up again um, but I think Liverpool for me Salah that's the captaincy yeah yeah, it's a good show I, um, I got completely mugged off with Jota this weekend and uh and Klopp benching him. So thank you, Jurgen, for that. That uh, that really mugged me off. As well as Zayech getting injured too. Um, obviously he's a no-go now. So I would love to take him out. Um, again, going back to Southampton players, um, Walker Peters, um, very good shout. Uh, James Ward-Prowse, very good shout. Che Adams, very good shout. If you wanted to pop them in, most definitely do. Uh, like we said, avoid Newcastle players. They're no good for nothing right now, unfortunately. Um, Aston Villa players, I mean, you could maybe sneak a couple in, depending on what's happening with them. Um, I don't know if they're, they're cool. I don't think there's one. They're, they're a team in decline. Um, yeah, I think I think they started strongly and they were always always susceptible to a pole run of form and I think it, it's happening to them now. Yeah, I um again speaking of pole run of form, Leicester have completely mugged me. I put in Schmeichel and I think it was Justin and they have barely picked up any points whatsoever. So if you are looking for defenders, um, I would recommend Chelsea. Um, Zuma got a goal again on the weekend. Chilwell is always liable to pop up with an assist. Mendy is very good value as a goalkeeper too. Um, and from a striker standpoint, I mean, again, you can't really go wrong with Harry Kane right now. He's either going to get a goal or assist. Um, they got Palace on the weekend. Zaha, again, is not a bad shout. Everything's going through him. So he looks like he's on good form with his goals the other week. So is there any other sort of suggestions you may have from a transfer standpoint, Reese? Pudisic. The guy uh, will just, just get into form. If you've got Zaya, get him out. Get Pudisic in if you can. Um, I think he's going to start bagging for Chelsea on a, on a huge level. I think yeah. I, I, I think I would definitely... It's more about the moment players to look to take out. I've taken out Rodriguez. He's gone off the boil. He's not mm. doing it. Um, but then keep Calvert-Lewin, you know, if you've got the both. I would take Rodriguez out. Yeah, good shout. If you're looking for uh, sort of maybe a cheeky six-pointer at the back as well, um, a Gabriel, maybe a Holden, maybe a T&E, Arsenal playing Burnley. Um, I don't think Arsenal will concede, but I don't think they'll score loads either. So that'll probably be quite a low-scoring game. So if you are looking to maybe build from the back, 
I would um, I would certainly recommend it. Maybe a few Arsenal defenders. Um, but yeah, that is FPL. Our league is going swimmingly. I am top of the shop in terms of the boys right now. Um, I forget who is top. I think it was um, some Hispanic dude from America. So whoever you are, shout out to you. I don't know who you are. You've not got in touch with us after my repeated attempts for you to tweet us. You continually ignore me. So I'm not even going to mention your name now. But yeah, props to you. You're winning thus far. I am coming for that top spot though. And like Risa said, the bleeding stopped. So he's not going to be far behind either. Ain't that right, Reese? Certainly. It is indeed. So that's FPL. Now, going back to, um, I want to call it the UA. Is it the UEFA Conference League? Is that what you texted me earlier on? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I read through it and I don't understand a fucking word of it. It's like what? Chinese what? algebra. Enlighten <laughs> me as to what this is. Chinese algebra, much more difficult than algebra as well. I can attest to that. Um, with the... This one, what, what is it about that you don't understand? Everything, everything. Sorry, I don't understand why it's come about. I don't understand how it works. So, I, I don't understand anything. The what and the why are completely different questions. And I, I, have, I have theories on one and I have answers on the other. I'll, so, I'll take both. Um, with, with regards to the what, I mean, for people who don't know what this is, uh, I think it's very exciting uh, in the same way a Welsh fan thinks of expanding the... the uh, you know the the Nations League or what have what have you is exciting because they got more chance to to do things on an international stage. Uh, it's so, sort of no different this on a club level. So um, if you try and cast your mind back to a time before the UEFA Cup, uh, you had the European Cup, and over time the UEFA Cup was brought in. Now the nation, uh, now the Europa League, um, in order to allow clubs that perhaps weren't on that elite footing to be able to play. European competition, expand globally, expand their fan base, things like that. Um, and so it was set up and, and I think, you know, there are clubs that there like Manchester United, Chelsea, who perhaps don't take that competition seriously. But for yeah. clubs such as Sevilla or Leicester, Wolves, these clubs, these club competitions are you know, brilliant for the, to partake in. The fans love them and it's serious. Um, the Conference League has been set up essentially as a third tier of European competition competition um, whereby and, and we can draw parallels pretty much from everything uh, from the Champions League to the Europa League we can draw a parallel from the Europa League to the Conference League this is actually going to start next year yeah. uh, the final is going to take place in Tirana in Albania with a crowd capacity of 22,000 uh, probably uh, with Covid taken into account it probably be 150 people allowed in by then all wearing masks and spaced out 10 metres apart um, but it's going to be a small stadium, Tirana, Albania. Um, it's going to follow a similar format um, to the Europa League. I know there's more teams involved in the Europa League. Um, and it will it'll essentially be that third tier level of club that gets into it. And I think that's really exciting. Um, we, we've gone into the whys and why you might want to be partaking in it. It's exciting. You know, there's clubs like Newcastle, like I'm a Newcastle fan. If we can manage a top nine, top you know, top eight, top nine finish, we'd get into that more than likely. I don't exactly know what the bandings would be in different leagues, but you'd imagine that an eight-place finish in the Premier League or maybe an FA Cup runner-up medal, perhaps that'll get you in. It's yet to be decided how you qualify. Um, but it's exciting to get into it, to get, you know, to get those European nights under the lights again. You know, a Leeds United would love that because they're not going to get Champions League, they're not going to get Europa League, but they might be able to get a ninth-eighth place finish. Sheffield United would have that this this year had it been you know in place. Um, 
So I, I'm definitely really excited for it. And the way it would work then is that the Europa League qualification, um, so for example, I think TNS of Wales were in it this, this year. Um, and they, I think they, uh, Connors Key perhaps one of them as well. And one of them lost in the last qualifying round, didn't make it through. If that was this year or sort of next year, then they would have dropped into the Conference League as a result in the same way. In the same way that the Champions League qualification, they dropped down, they dropped down into the Europa League. Okay. And whoever whoever ends up winning the um, Conference League gets a qualification spot into the Europa League. Yeah. And it's kind of a way to say, you know what, if you're good in if you're good in competition but you can't sustain it over games, there is a chance that you could win the Conference League to get into the into the Europa League, win the Europa League to get in the Champions League, all the while finish ninth, finishing ninth in the in the league. Um, and then obviously the sides that finish third in the groups in the Europa League then drop in to the Conference League. Um, so it is essentially the exact same thing as the Europa League, but for lesser clubs. We might see teams like Aberdeen in there, Celtic dropping in from, from the Europa League. Uh, you might see uh, a Newcastle in there, for example. You might see an Everton in there. Somebody yeah. who just doesn't you know, miss out. Um, you, there's there's lots of clubs you know, throughout Europe, like fallen giants as well. You know, if you look at teams like uh, Lille, um, who are in Champions League at the moment, but sides Arsenal, uh, yeah, Arsenal, <laughs> Werder Bremen, Wolfsburg, lots of different sides who ha- they're not doing it at the moment, and they need to get that culture back in. They need to educate their players on what it is to be involved in European competition, what it is to win a, Euro- a European Cup tie. Um, on a Wednesday night, you know, a cold Wednesday night in December, how good that can be, how, how rocking a stadium can be under the lights. Mm. I think it's good. I think it'll instill a winning mentality, a, you know, a competitive element to things, and all those, all those ties will be played on a Thursday night alongside the Europa League. I want to get your, I want to get, every, you know, not just yours, but I want to get everyone's opinion on it because. From my perspective, I'm a Newcastle fan. I, I would love it. You know, get as many competitions in there as possible. We probably need one underneath the Conference League to qualify for it. Yeah, um, but I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, great for Arsenal fans because you know that's about the only way they're going to get any European nights or decent European nights. Um, I mean, they could maybe make the name a little sexier. Um, the UEFA. I know on the resume, I won the Conference League. Reese texted me earlier on, and he said, "Do some research on the Conference League." And I thought, "Why am I researching the English Conference League? That's like a fifth division." I was like, "Reese, why, why am I doing this?" And he's like, "No, no, it's the UEFA." Con-. I was like, oh, "Right, okay, this makes more sense." Um, I'll be honest, with you like I'm not against it. It's interesting, I suppose, that managers talk about a fixture pileup, and then we add more fixtures. Um, so from that standpoint, that's interesting. It would be interesting, you know. You see managers like Chris Wilde and Graham Potter and say, "Ah, oh, it's not a problem. It's not a problem." I'd love to see if they change their tune. You know, I I'd love to see that. You know, going, actually, it is a problem. There's there's managers out there who've never experienced European competition, don't know what it is, and they don't know anything from the sports science point of view. They don't know anything about you know keeping their players fit, keeping them you know at, at safe from injury. It educate a lot of people. It would be a learning curve, but. Uh, I think it will be more important for you know those clubs like um, like TNS, like I mentioned, you know, clubs that do often make it through the second or third qualifying rounds, um, but don't quite make it into competition. Yeah, they might make it into this, and they might end up playing an Arsenal, 
you know, they might end up being able to take 10,000 fans to the Emirates Stadium, you know. It would be huge for the club, financially. There'd be a lot of struggling yeah. teams over there, financial, from, a, from a financial point of view, that get that extra revenue. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, do you know what? As a football fan, I'm all for more football. I'm not against that. Um, it will be predominantly known as the UEFA Banter League. I mean, look, the <laughs> Europa League, right, that gets slandered. You, even I'm talking about Man United going on flights to Uzbekistan, uh, you know, on, on a Thursday night if they lose this week. So, yeah, the UEFA Banter League is going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, TNS against Aberdeen. I probably wouldn't watch that, but I mean, look. Yeah. Look, we're all football fans. And as a Man United fan, you're not going to be content with Europa League. It's nice. It'll be a notch in your bedpost, essentially, when you when you win one. But you know, it, you're not going to have street parties for it. It's not going to be open bus parades. But as a Newcastle fan, I can tell you, the most enjoyable game of football I've ever been to see live is Newcastle in, in the quarterfinal of Europa League. I've not seen a big Champions League night as mm. a Newcastle fan. I'm not old enough. And it was everything. The fans loved it. It was amazing to have that back. Um, and I believe it would be the same way with the Conference League. Maybe not for clubs like Arsenal. Maybe they would see it more as a qualification process. But for other clubs, I think it would be huge. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's some diehard fans that would love it. I went to watch Swansea play, I want to say, maybe Ruben Krasnodar. I can't remember who it was way back during the Swansea glory days of the Europa League. Um, and I remember sitting down behind the goal, and there was literally <laughs> there was there was literally right like four Russian fans. That was it. There was like and they had made their way from the depths of Russia to come to Swansea, <laughs> and Gibral Cisse scored a penalty in like the 89th minute to equalise, and they went fucking off. So for people like that, right, I understand why they would like it. I get it. It you know it's it's a novelty you know that can sort of maybe brighten up a dull season. So I'm not against it. Um, like I said, it'll be interesting to see the, how the fixture pile up, um, how that goes. But I mean, yeah, no, I'm not against it. But um, yeah, to everybody else, obviously Reese has explained it very well. Get in the comments below and let us know your opinions on it too. Um, and going back to, uh, to tournament football, the World Cup groups are out. So let's, um, let's have a quick chat about them before we go. So the, uh, the Welsh group, I was just having a quick look at it now, which again was very much stag do central, my dear. And if you're looking for a few trips away, Belgium, Czech Republic, Belarus, and Estonia. It's not a bad little. I mean, I'm sick of seeing Belgium, I won't lie. I'm, I've had enough of them already. But I mean, the rest, I mean, don't see why Wales can't do them over. There are some good sides there. I mean, look, I was listening to TalkSport earlier on and they were saying how it was a foregone conclusion that Wales were going to be aiming for the playoffs. Look, Belgium are number one in the world. But let's be honest, they're past their golden generation. They're beatable. You know, England have shown that. And if England can beat them and they can't beat Iceland, you know, or they can't beat Denmark, you know, you have to level teams like that. And if Wales want to get into a top-tier tournament like the, the, the World Cup, then they've got to be. They can't be relying on falling into a you know Croatia's group or Denmark's group. Yeah, Belgium won the more reasonable ties there, despite being number one in the world, and they haven't beaten us in three attempts. Um, and then you look at Czech Republic, Belarus, and Estonia, and you you have to look at them as games that you want to win, mm. at least at least home for Czech Republic, but you, you'd hope both home and away. Um, and one thing that's interesting here is for Wales, it is shit or bust. They don't they don't need to worry about finishing third or fourth. They've got a playoff because they won their nation's group. 
Their Nations oh, League. That's a, that's a whole other complication that I can't grasp. I can't, tell you. I can't get my head around that one. I love stats and figures. The boys will tell you. Um, but um, with, with them winning the Nations League group means they've guaranteed a playoff spot. So they can just go and they can enjoy it and they can just say, look, it doesn't matter whether we finish second, third, fourth or fifth. Let's just go and beat Belgium. And if we get Belgium, let's build from that point. Um, there's some interesting groups out there. Uh, Scotland, they're probably unlikely to get a better chance at qualifying for a World Cup. They're in, they're, yeah. in, they're in a group with Denmark, Austria, Israel, Faroe Islands and Moldova. And there's not one game in there that isn't winnable for Scotland. Mm. Uh, and with the optimism behind them from qualifying for the Euros with uh, what you would probably call a golden generation given some of the players they've had over the years, mm. um, you know, that you know, they've got a good chance. I mean, there's teams like France, which are definitely going to qualify, given their group. Ukraine, Finland, Bosnia and, and Kazakhstan. Um, and then you've got people like, you know, the other home nations, perhaps not so lucky. Republic of Ireland are in a group with Portugal and Serbia and Azerbaijan, which isn't easy. Um, and then you've got Northern Ireland, which again, a hard group being drawn in with Italy, Switzerland, and Bulgaria, yeah. uh, England, obviously, uh, you know, favourites in their group, but they've still got Poland with Lewandowski, as well as Hungary, Albania, Andorra, and San Marino. So. See, Al- Albania, Andorra, and San Marino are just skiing holidays, as far as I'm concerned. They're not even real opponents. Like, with all due respect, and I don't want to get any trouble with the Albanians because they're the last people you want trouble with. But I'm just saying that England should walk that group. I mean, they usually walk. They should. And on paper, they should. But let's be honest. Um, that England defence is poor. It's extremely poor, and they're going to be going up against home and away. Robert Lewandowski, mm. Lewandowski. You know. Um, Lewandowski. So it's not a foregone conclusion. It's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting qualification process for a lot of nations. Yeah, it says the qualifiers will take place between March and November, uh, twenty twenty-one. So, um, yeah. I, I'm look, international qualifiers don't really do it for me. It doesn't, you know, turn me on that much. But I'm assuming I'll tune in if I'm still on lockdown. <laughs> I've, I've got nothing else to do anyway. So, yeah, interesting group. So again, obviously, everybody get in the, uh, the comments below and let us know your take on them and you know your favourites for the group and who you think's going to do the what, where, when, and why. Um, but that's pretty much us wrapped up for this pod. Um, Reese, was there any other bits you wanted to go over? No, oh, good for me. All good from you? Cool. All right. So you can see the ads below. Get at me and Reese on Twitter, IG, all that. You know where we are. If you want to talk football with us or life in general, always happy to talk. Uh, like and subscribe, do all that good jazz. And we will be back uh, very shortly with another podcast. We'll see you then, people. Take care. Ciao.